I wonder if there are some in our congregation this morning who have uh, been given a prophecy. Somebody's come to you and say, said, I, I have a word from the Lord for you. Uh, I feel that God told me to come to you and say this to you. Um, Denzel Washington was, uh, was one of, of many people who had had an experience like this. It was, a, uh, it was a time in his life when he was in college and he was um, trying to make some big decisions about his life, as many people in college uh, do. And uh, at a, a point where he was at something of a crossroads, he was sitting in his mother's beauty salon and uh, an elderly woman from... Uh, from his church, uh, called out, said, wait, give me a piece of paper. Uh, And on that piece of paper, she wrote the words, you will speak to millions, and handed that paper to Denzel. Now, to me, it sounded like the kind of message that I sometimes get in those fortune cookies when I've been uh, out for, for some food, but for Denzel, he felt that it was a turning point in his life. It was in a 60 Minutes interview where he talked about the, the moment that he received this piece of paper, uh, the woman who claimed to have a gift of prophecy, and, and uh, he felt it, it, was, uh, it was helpful for him in, in uh, steering him in a direction that, uh, um, that uh, would eventually uh, lead him into the career that he's had, and he has been, of course, enormously successful. I've had a number of, uh, of experiences in talking people who have come to me and, and made statements, not quite um, the way uh, Denzel had uh, with uh, um, a woman from his church. But I remember one time I was praying with someone and I'm, uh, I'm, I, I was praying, among other things, uh, at, at a certain point in the prayer for uh, someone that's very close to me. And I was praying for their salvation. And I was praying very earnestly for this person's salvation. And we came to the end of the prayer. And the person that I was praying with said, wait, a a verse just came to me. And they opened their Bible and uh, flipped to what I believe was Psalm 66, 19. um, Words that say, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. And uh, as he read the verse, I thought, well, that's a good verse. I believe that. I, I believe that God listens to my prayers, and uh, that's encouraging. Thank you for reading that. But he said, no, no, it's, this is more than that. I believe that God has given me this verse to confirm to you that God is going to save that person that you were just praying for. Well, two decades has passed now, and the person has never shown an ounce of interest in the gospel. Uh, and yet, you know, anything could happen. Time, uh, uh, we, till, till we, as long as we have uh, time left on this earth, we, we have opportunity to turn to Jesus Christ. But what do you do with that? Was that a message from the Lord or was it not a message from the Lord? Um, in this series, we're beginning today, it's a series on prophecy and we're, we're asking questions. Does, does the scripture give us any indication of what what we can and should do when someone says, hey, I believe that God is speaking through me and has a message for you. Uh, or what do you do if, uh, if you believe that God has given you a message for someone else and 
uh, or a message for, for you. Uh, how do we understand this thing that the Bible calls prophecy? Uh, what do we do with people who claim to speak for God? And uh, today we start in the Old Testament. Um, in, in future messages in this series, we're going to look at what the New Testament says and, and see, is it different from what the Old Testament says? Is there any, any change in how we should understand um, prophecy um, in, the, in the New Testament? We start back in the, in the Old Testament with some directions that Moses gives, really laying down some ground rules of discernment for how to understand um, prophecy. As we look in these words, we will see that speaking, claiming to speak for God is very serious to God. Uh, he treats it very seriously and wants us to have a measure of uh, discernment, of uh, understanding of how we can, uh, uh, how we can approach and, and, and evaluate the things that we are being told. Uh, we also... We also understand as we look in these passages that um, when people claim to speak for God, often it can be a test for us. It can be a test of who or what we are actually trusting in. And so if, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me. We'll start uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 13. I'm going to read three passages from Deuteronomy. Um, but the first is uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. In your pew Bibles, it's on page uh, 147. If you can just keep that open um, before you this morning, I will walk through that, uh, uh, that passage and we will uh, seek to understand what God would, would uh, reveal to us. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let's go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. This is the word of God. Now the first lesson I learned about prophecy from this uh, text is that words from the Lord that lead away from the Lord test our love for the Lord. People, according to this passage, don't have to make false predictions to be dangerous. In fact, they could do some amazing things and they can say some things that may actually come true, but they can, if they combine those things uh, with uh, wrong teaching about God, false theology, they can do more harm than good and uh, they can actually put us on the wrong side of God. So words from the Lord that lead away from the Lord test your love for the Lord. Now, you may be surprised to see the, the scenario that Moses lays out in verses 1 and 2 because it's not, what, not one of the, the scenarios that most people envision. In, in verse 1, he's talking about a prophet or someone who has special dreams. Then in verse 2, he says, 
If they give you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass. So he's envisioning a person who is uh, able to do things that people aren't normally able to do. Uh, He does some miracle, maybe a healing. Uh, Maybe uh, they make a prediction, and it's like they seem to have knowledge about something that you shouldn't normally have knowledge about, and the prediction comes true. This is not the scenario we typically envision because often we we think there are either people that have spiritual power that are sent from God. Maybe they can do some amazing things like Moses and Elijah and Elisha and some of those others, but everybody else is a phony and a fake and you can just tell because they don't, the stuff that they happen, they're just making it all up. But Moses says, no, there's some people who say some things and do some things that, humanly speaking, doesn't seem to really be possible. They seem to have some spiritual power, but at the same time, they are saying, after they do that sign or wonder, let's go worship other gods. They're leading people away from God. And although Moses says, they say, let's go worship other gods, obviously, if you want to have any success as a false prophet, you don't typically say, hey, let's go worship other gods. You try and be a little bit more nuanced about it, right? Uh, the, you, you typically try to mix in as much, as much truth as possible while still leading people uh, astray and, and sending people in other directions. And so you, you have something like that going on. If you think about Moses and you're, you're reading this passage, you're probably thinking of something like what happened when he spoke to Pharaoh. He didn't just go and wander up and tell Pharaoh, hey, this is how I'd like you to do things. He went with a message from the Lord, but as he did, you'll remember that he did some signs. One of the things he did, he took his staff, threw it on the ground, turned into a snake. That would be fairly amazing. That, that would be enough to get Pharaoh's attention, you'd think, and, and have him know that, that this person that's speaking is speaking with some kind of special spiritual authority. At the same time, when he did that, you'll remember that Pharaoh's magicians were able to copy the miracle. They were able to do the same thing. They seemed to have a measure of spiritual power that, I mean, I can't take a staff and turn it into a snake. Most of you can't either. They, they seem to have some kind of spe- special spiritual power. In Moses' case, it came from God. In, the, in Pharaoh's magician's case, it seemed to come from a different place. It wasn't authenticating that their, uh, their message and mission was from the true God. Often people are only interested in whether it's true or not. They assume people are phonies if, that, if, uh, uh, if they're, they, they aren't uh, speaking the truth. And yet here we have a situation, false prophets leading people away from the Lord with real spiritual power. In Matthew 24, 24, Jesus himself warned about this very same thing. He said, false Christs and false prophets will arise and, get this, perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the the elect. He didn't just say false Christs, false prophets, false, false miracles, false wonders. He seems to say they are great. These are what they're doing. Really, there is something spectacular about it but they are leading people astray. In fact, they would deceive even you, he's saying, if, it, if, if that were uh, even possible. 
I'm not sure what you think of when you read a, a verse like that. The thing that comes to my mind is, why on earth would God give spiritual power to people with a false message? Why give spiritual understanding to people who are obviously leading others astray? Well, what's going on there? Well, our text today gives us the answer. It's interesting, and, uh, it, and he gives it in verse 3. Moses says, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet, the one that does all these great things and then leads you astray, or that dreamer of dreams, for, why, why not? The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. It seems to be saying that God can give real spiritual power to some people with a false message, with a dangerous mission. But he does that to test whether we really love the Lord or whether our love is merely for the show. Have we put our trust in him or in the performance? Because people can get caught up in the excitement, and it, and, and it can be very excitement. If there, there's, there's a real healing, and this person really, they're, they're changed. They're, they're better now. They're, and, and they can get so excited about, uh, about a word that was given to and something that came true. Nobody could have known that. So they put their trust in that person and what they're saying, even if what they're saying doesn't line with scripture, even if it seems to say some things that just just make you feel uncomfortable because it doesn't seem that that's what God is saying, and yet the show has seemed so amazing. The spectacle is so remarkable that the people follow. And the word is saying here, God sometimes does that deliberately to test what your trust and faith really is in who it is that you have given yourself to. Any idea on how God commanded these false prophets to be treated? Verse 5 says, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. We're understanding this is still under an old covenant context where you have a theocracy, where you have a uh, a, a king appointed by God uh, uh, on, on the throne and, and the special circumstances that don't exist in, under the new covenant. But as we're trying to get our head around what, what God sees and, and how God views these things, it's clear how seriously he takes the claim for people who claim to speak for him. It's, it's obvious that uh, false prophets can't be tolerated among God's people. The reason is that if, if people are allowed to say, God told me to tell you this, and God didn't tell you, that person to tell you this, they can cause incredible confusion, incredible misunderstanding. People can make decisions on the things that they're hearing and thinking they're doing so out of faithfulness to God when it is really uh, out of uh, a, a, a deception from an individual. Often what can happen is that Jesus can be subtly replaced by a powerful leader. And you, you see that shift taking place when people start quoting him instead of quoting him. They are talking about what the leader says, and they are talking less about what Jesus says. They, hear, they, they start talking more about the things that 
that are, are, are being said in a particular sermon or from a particular um, person and less about what the scriptures teach and what God has revealed. And so there's a test. As people begin to hang on the, the prophet's words instead of God's words, Jesus gets lost in the mix. And Christ is abandoned, reject, rejected. And the thing that's so dangerous about it is it still feels Christian. It still feels like we're worshiping the Lord. But the Lord has been subtly replaced with someone who is leading people away from the Lord. So words from the Lord that lead away from the Lord test your love for the Lord. And the, the, the takeaway is to put your trust in Jesus Christ, not in the show. Not get dazzled by the spectacle because often that spectacle can be, can be powerful, great, Jesus said, uh, real perhaps, powerful, and yet very dangerous and deceptive. And so we stand warned. So the first scenario Moses addressed were these false prophets taking people away from the Lord while at the same time doing some really amazing spiritual things. Real miracles, making some real predictions. But the second scenario involves false prophets whose predictions don't come true. And here we learn that words from the Lord that don't come to pass also test our love for the Lord. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 to 22. In your pew Bible, it's just a couple pages forward on page 151. Deuteronomy 18, verses 20 to 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now, I think that the definition here of a false prophet in verse 20 is very helpful. He, Moses says, it's someone who presumes to speak in God's name things God hasn't commanded or who speaks in the name of other gods. So if you have a thought that just pops into your mind, maybe it's a good thought. It may be a true thought. But that is not, according to Moses' definition at least, that's not a prophecy. That's just a thought that popped into your mind. According to Moses, a, a, a prophecy is not something that just pops into your mind. It comes with God commanding you to speak. There is this sense of divine compulsion that not only has God put that into your mind, put it on your mouth, but he's commanded you to, to speak it. And to not speak it would be to sin. If God hasn't commanded the thought, if it's just a Christian thought that popped into your mind, then just tacking on, God told me to tell you this, is not, not right because that's not how the Bible here at least describes prophecy. In fact, this is what the false prophets do, he's warning us. Moses gives a fairly simply te simple test of a false prophet. It's not the only test, but it's one he gives here in verse 21. He pictures a person first wondering, how are we to tell? What, 
What are we to do when someone gives us a message? How do I know it's a false prophet? How do I know if it's the Lord speaking or not? And he answers their question in verse 22. If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Now, how this would work in, if in ancient Israel, or really in a, anywhere in the ancient Near East, didn't matter how spiritual or religious or not you were, if you were a king and you were going into battle, you kind of wanted to have a heads up before you went in how things were going to go down. So what you would do is you would seek the knowledge of the gods. You would, you would want a word from, uh, from the spiritual realm. Now, if you were one of the Canaanite kings, if you were one of the, uh, the pagan uh, nations around Israel, uh, you might go to a local priest. They would cut up an animal, lay out its innards, and based on what they saw on, inside the animal, they would give you a, either a thumbs up, things are going to go great in this battle, you're going to have victory, or you're going to lose and die, and you better not even have any part of it. Uh, that's one, one of the things that they did. Other, other kings, they might go and seek uh, help from someone who consulted the dead uh, or, or somebody who would go into a trance and, and deliver a message to you. But the Bible commanded that uh, none of those things were to be a part of God's people. He wanted them to seek him, to seek his face and to seek knowledge only from him. And so uh, people, the, the, the kings would go, they would pray, they would ask uh, prophets of the Lord, people who had been set apart by him, and they would seek to know what God's will is. Now, if you went into battle and, and the, the prophet that you had sought out, whether it was a pagan prophet or a true prophet uh, or a prophet of the Lord, if you had gone to them and they said, go have victory, send forth into battle, and you go in there and you get cleaned out and it's a stinging defeat, you know that the person who gave you that prophecy was not speaking for the Lord. You know that that person was not a true prophet and was someone to be avoided, to be rejected, and to be, uh, as we will see, cast aside. Now, some of you are hearing that and thinking, Paul, if what you're saying is that if somebody gives me a prophecy and it involves a prediction and the prediction doesn't come true, that that is a false prophecy and that is a false prophet, if that's a test that you're giving me, that seems like the most obvious thing I've ever heard in my life. That's, that's a really, I'm not sure why you've even wasted my time with the last few minutes explaining that. Maybe you're thinking that. If so, you need to know that this is incredibly common. This happens all the time. People will make false predictions, give false prophecies that can clearly be seen to be false and not to have come true, and yet people keep signing up for the conferences, uh, uh, sitting under the teaching, uh, changing the channel and, and tuning in to their broadcasts. People keep lapping it up. And Moses has given us some very clear um, warning and advice here, which to some of you thinks, boy, that's the most obvious thing in the world, Paul. And yet, for many people, it isn't. Let me give you an example of this. And I'm deliberately going to step a little bit out of our current era to a, 
another area, an era where we've, we can have the perspective of history. Back in the 80s, there was a group called the Kansas City Prophets, and one of the top leaders, the top prophets among the Kansas City Prophets is a guy by the name of Bob Jones. No connection with Bob Jones University. Anyway, Bob Jones was interviewed, and they said, what's your hit-miss ratio? Like, what's your batting percentage when it comes to getting the predictions right, getting the prophecies right? Um, give us some idea, not only for yourself, but for the other Kansas City prophets. What, what generally can you expect? And he gives a very, uh, very honest response, I think, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to quote him. He said this, the general level of prophetic revelation in the movement's prophets had an accuracy level of about 65%. Some prophets were as low as 10% accurate, with some of the most mature prophets having a rating approaching 85 to 95%. Now, I haven't been in school for a while, but last time I checked, 65% was a D, right? Like, if you're a kid and you're bringing home 65% on your report card, your parents are, are not kind of throwing you a celebration dinner, typically, right? Like, to say that that's kind of the average of, and, and kind of saying it with some level of confidence, it, it's, it says something. And remember, if you were, you're giving these declarations, this is a message from the Lord to you, like, people are making decisions based on this, thinking that, their response to the prophet is, is a response to the Lord himself. And, and, and so they're making big life decisions on that. 65% is their average. Even 85, 95%. And, and that, that's got to include a whole lot of like fortune cookie type messages that are so vague that could, you, you, you could construe almost anything to, to be a, a part of a, uh, the fulfillment of that, of that prediction. I, I can't imagine the kind of damage and confusion that's done by the, the prophets who's, who just are less mature and have only got a 10% um, uh, effectiveness or, or ratio of success. So this is the kind of thing that happens. And at least as Moses, at least under, you know, under the old covenant, and at least under that basis of our understanding of prophecy, if it doesn't come true, it's not from the Lord. And that prophet is not to be entertained, given a second try, maybe wait till he matures a little bit more, we'll keep listening. And no, no, there, there is to be uh, a different approach. So how were they, how were they what, what, what was to be done? Well, the false, prediction, the false prophets who make, made predictions who didn't come true were treated the same way as those false prophets who had some amazing spiritual power going on but were leading people away from the Lord. Verse 20 just says, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, notice the language again, there's a command to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. God couldn't allow people to just keep on talking and saying, God told me to tell you this if he didn't tell him to tell you that. Because to do so would create confusion, misunderstanding, and frankly, make God look awfully stupid. Make, it, make God's word less trustworthy. And so the, the, the warning is given. And even as the warning is given, 
If you think, wow, that's so obvious. You didn't need to give that warning. Guess what? God gave the warning because he knew that for many people it wouldn't be obvious. The temptation would be there to listen and to keep taking it in and to want it to be true, to, be, to, to want that message, to have something just for you. Zechariah 10.2 gives us another picture of some of the, the danger uh, that, can, that can take place when, when false prophets are tolerated. It says, The household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Here, here's the consequence. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. When people misrepresent God, the result is confusion. People don't know what to make heads or tails of what God really wants, what God really says, when God is really speaking, whether he can really be trusted. And this kind of confusion results. People are at a loss, and they wander like sheep, afflicted for lack of a shepherd. So if a prophet is introducing things that don't square, square with Scripture or that don't come true, as far as Moses is concerned, that person is to be treated as a false prophet and is not to be tolerated. It's not to be given a free reign. Moses gave us one more test of our love for the Lord, though, and it relates to prophecy, and it comes in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 to 19. So I'd ask you to turn there. We're still on page 151 of your pew Bible. I'm just going to read from verse 15 to 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is my final takeaway from Moses' words on prophecy. Words from the Lord that are recorded in his word test your love for the Lord. Here we're talking about, we, we've been dealing with some of the temptations that come from false prophets, but here is a, a, a prophecy and a prediction about a true prophet, another one who is, would come who is like Moses, that Moses pointed to and said, you better listen to him. You better hear from him. And so words from the Lord that are recorded in his word, test your love for the Lord. <coughs> I want you to start by looking at Moses' words in verse 15. There it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Now in the Old Testament, God raised up a number of prophets that came after Moses. Uh, you know some of the famous ones, and Nathan as he went to David. Uh, you know Elijah and uh, his uh, successor, Elisha. Uh, you know of those who wrote famous books, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and others. In verse 18, there's a description of the pro prophetic process again. God puts his words in the person's mouth, commands them to speak. 
as we saw earlier, with prophecy, it's not just a Christian thought that pops into your mind, oh, that's, that's God, I'll, I'll, I'll go and announce that to someone. Uh, here, it, it, prophecy comes with God's command, uh, God's command to speak. But because the prophet is speaking God's very words, he holds us accountable for how we respond to true prophets and true prophecy. That's why he says in verse 19, And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So here, God is promising to raise up another prophet like Moses. And here we have a prediction of a true prophet, one to whom Moses points, and it is him that the people must listen to. And while God held people accountable to their response to the prophets he sent, for they were all pointing to a, another greater prophet, one who would come after that would be uh, the, to the people a, 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 a message from God and a, and a messenger from God. Jesus is that prophet like Moses. He, he challenged the people in his day who claimed to follow Moses but weren't really interested in following him. Uh, he, he challenged them in John chapter 5, verse 46, when he said, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Jesus wanted them to see that he was the prophet that Moses spoke of. He was the one that ultimately all of those other prophets had been pointing to. He was looking back to what Moses wrote and said, that's me. Can't you see it? You, you claim to follow Moses, but you're not trusting in whom Moses pointed to. When Jesus fed the 5,000, you and I read that as, wow, that's a great story. That's an incredible miracle. Maybe you, you, you first heard it in Sunday school growing up and you're feeding the 5,000. Boy, that's a, that's a really good one. That's an incredible miracle, Right? But the Jews who saw that miracle didn't just see it like that. They didn't just see it as a great story, an incredible miracle. They saw it as something more than that. Because when the Jews who were uh, attending that, they were thinking, wait a second, I think there's been another time in our history when the, the, the Israelites have been stranded in the wilderness and really hungry and... God provided food for them through one of his prophets. That, that's exactly what happened with Moses. With Moses, the people were stranded in the wilderness and they were really hungry and God provided something like bread for them. It was like bread though. It, it, it's described as having a, a, a wafer-like uh, wafer -like food. But when the people ate it, they said, what is it? And... and if you're, if you're going out for dinner and you, you eat something and you, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is, what is it? That, that's not an indication like that was the best meal you've ever had, right? Like typically you would say other things of food that you really enjoy, but, but it, at least it, it filled them and it was, it was something that sustained them. But they named it manna because, you know, you look at it and you're like, I don't know what that is. I've never seen anything like it before. What is it? Well, here after Moses having given that prophecy about a prophet who was like him to come that they must listen to, this person called Jesus arrives on the scene 
And he comes upon some stranded Israelites who are really hungry. And he provides some food for them. He gives them not only something that looks like bread, he gives them bread and he gives it to them in abundance. And when they ate it, they didn't say, what is it? They said, like, this tastes like another. This is, this is really good. I mean, they didn't really say it tastes like another, but they, 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 were, they were excited about what they ate. They recognized this is real food. This is real bread. This isn't that what is it stuff. This is, this is food in abundance that God has provided. And this is just like what Moses did, but even better. Who is it? He must be the prophet. He must be the one that Moses was pointing to. He must be the one that Moses said, make sure you listen to him. Make sure you follow him. We know that because John records these words in John 6.14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice he do, they don't say, boy, that was an incredible miracle. He must be a prophet too. No, they identify him as the prophet. The, the one that Moses had spoken of, the one that was the long-awaited prophet, the one that we had been putting our hope in and trusting would finally arrive. He's here and it's Jesus the Christ. And the question that we're left with, left with is, how have we responded to him? We recognize here because of Moses' uh, war- word of warning to us that our lives will be evaluated by our response to Jesus Christ. That we will be tested by our response to him. So what have you done with his words? How have you responded to his message? And it's an important thing to ask because there are some of you who will be tempted to feel like, yeah, I've done that because you've been so excited and faithful about following a guy who was really amazing and did some spectacular things but didn't talk about Jesus or his word all that much or all that clearly. Or maybe you got really excited about a particular church or a particular experience or something that happened or something that someone said and it felt so real and you've, you've been sold ever since. But maybe you've been sold on the experience or the word or the person or the church or the tradition but not actually sold on Jesus. Not actually having trusted him and given yourself to him. And yet it is him by whom we will all be evaluated. It is our response to him that is the means by which God grants as a free gift eternal life. Some of you might ask, well, why would anyone do that? Why would anyone follow some spectacular prophet who kind of is a C or a D in terms of accuracy but, but puts on a great show? Why would they give themselves to him and not to Jesus? Why would they trust that and not him? And, 
And I, there are probably dozens of different reasons, but one of the reasons is often it's because they're offering something that you really, really, really want that Jesus hasn't given you yet. Something that, that you want to get your hands on and you, they're, they're offering it and doing so under the guise of, of something that is kind of Christian-ish, but it's telling you what you want to hear. Let me give you an example and we'll close. One of the best-selling Christian books in the last 20 years is written as if Jesus is actually speaking. It's now sold 30 million copies. Many updates and uh, reprintings of this book. And the author describes how the book came about, and I'm just going to quote her. She says this, I had been writing in prayer journals for years but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Notice that she knew that God spoke through the Bible. That was clear. She just didn't think that was enough. And frankly, if you can... Close your Bible, close your eyes, and just hear God. Who on earth wants to read the Bible anymore? Why would you read something? Uh, why, why would you read something that was written 2,000 years ago if you can just close your eyes and you hear the voice of God directly to you on any given day? I understand the attraction. So, what she did? She listened to that voice, she wrote down what she heard, and she wrote it in the first person to you and to you and to you and to you, so it would be your personal message directly from the Lord. And if the book sales are any indication, wildly popular, and there will be many, many more to come. And the Bible would call us at least as we've established so far in our study of the scriptures, to some basic discernment. Of course, if I say, God told me to tell you this, that's going to sell a whole lot more books. And if I just said, well, I've, I've done some careful study and I think that this is what the word of God teaches, that's, that's not, not nearly as attractive. So I understand the motivation. But we are called to take those claims to speak for God very, very, very seriously. And we've seen that God, God treats them seriously. And we've seen that if we are to follow God and be guarded by him, we need to take them seriously as well. Because maybe, just maybe, that word from the Lord, that person who claims to speak to you, maybe. God has sent them to test whether your love is for him or for the show. Whether your trust is in Jesus or in the spectacle. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us discernment. Help us not to be led astray every time someone says, God told me to tell you this. Help us not to call prophecies words that God hasn't commanded us to speak. 
Would you ground us in the written word of God? Would you help us to take the time to read it so we can understand and discern and evaluate when, when people claim to speak for you, but they speak falsely of you? Help us to give our first loyalty to Jesus. He's the prophet who is to come. He's the one whose words will be judged by. And he's the one who deserves all of our devotion. We pray in his name. Amen.